happy uh, warm week Wednesday, y'all. Welcome to K9360. This is Jill and here with you on Wednesdays, rain or shine, hot or cold, humid or dry. Uh, apparently we're getting a little of everything in these past couple weeks. And uh, what we're really here to talk about though is not the weather, but dogs and all things dog related and um, something in social media this week that I thought was worth bringing up. Uh, This may take, this may be a story in several parts, um, but I think it's concerning and of interest to all of us as dog owners because we are united in several ways, um, tarred with the same brush as you would, uh, as you will, members of the same club, um, as, as users of public space, as, uh, scoopers of poop and as folks who desperately need our beloved veterinarians. So, uh, some of you may be aware of this already, Uh, Last week, there was a very sensationalized social media story about a family who surrendered their pet to their veterinary clinic in order to save its life. And I'm not going to give that particular sensationalist TV news story legs. Um, What I would rather do is share with you a statement from the Maine, that would be the state of Maine, Veterinary Medical Center in Scarborough, Maine. Uh, You will get the gist of the story in this statement. And then I think we want to investigate a little bit further about what this story means in this historical moment um, and what insights it might give us about the nature of veterinary medicine, Um, where we are as individuals and also collectively and what we can do to help. So here's the statement from the Maine Veterinary Medical Center, Scarborough, Maine. This is dated June 11th, 2022. Earlier this week, we were contacted by a reporter from a local television station seeking comment about a case we handled in May that resulted in a pet owner surrendering her pet to save its life. While the veterinary medical profession is not subject to the same HIPAA-style privacy laws as human medical profession, we have always behaved as if we were. So our initial inclination was to comment, but decided against it because we knew that the pet owner involved had been through a traumatic experience. We wanted to honor her privacy, and we assumed that the story would be matter of fact. We were naive. We had no idea the story would so malign not only our hospital and our caring doctors and staff, but by extension, our profession. In this era of viral news and sensational journalism, our staff are now faced with a social media maelstrom that includes hourly threats to burn down the hospital and to kill our staff and their families. We've had to have police guarding the hospital around the clock. Our phone lines have been deliberately jammed so that real emergency calls cannot get through. The language that has been used against our staff is vile and vulgar. 
the hate that has been unleashed due to this shoddy news story and the concomitant lies spread through social media are shocking, especially because the news story was inaccurate and we have the documentation to prove it. The reporter relied solely on the word of the pet owner. While it's true we elected not to comment, the reporter could have asked for documentation from the pet owner or third-party corroboration to ensure that what she reported was true. But she did not, and we have paid the price. We realize now that we have to break our silence. The statement continues as follows. On May 26th, the pet owner brought her four-month-old purebred German Shepherd puppy, Jax, to our hospital. The puppy was in distress and, based on our initial examination, was shown to have an infection, fever, and was experiencing pain. Based on the, inf- on the infection, it was clear that the dog had been suffering for at least 24 to 48 hours prior to our seeing him. Per protocol, Jax was screened for parvovirus, which was negative. The pet owner assured us that while Jax had had his rabies and distemper shots earlier in the week, he had not gotten into anything or eaten anything that he shouldn't have. She agreed to leave Jax at the hospital overnight for further tests and observation. Based on the owner's information, an initial cost estimate of $2,630.55 to $3,330.26 was given to the owner. The following morning, it was clear Jax was experiencing an even greater abdominal pain, so at 9 a.m. an ultrasound was performed. These are the findings from that test. This is a quote from the chart. Based on the ultrasound, a presumptive skewer, uh, in other words, a linear object, is penetrating from the duodenum, that's the first part of the small intestine, through the liver and entering the chest. There is free fluid within the chest and abdomen due to these ruptures and penetrations. Concern for pyothorax, that's infection and pus in the chest, and free abdominal fluid consistent with leaking intestinal contents and concern for septic abdomen. This is a significant injury that requires emergency surgery. Surgical plan is to remove the skewer, close the hole or rupture in the small intestine, the duodenum, ensure the liver does not have significant penetration, bleeding, or complication. Further intervention to close the diaphragm where the skewer is penetrating to prevent further complication and normal breathing. The chest will be lavaged, that means flushed out, and chest tubes placed to get the secondary infection under control. Chest tubes may be in for one to three days depending on fluid production and infection control. Jax will also have an abdominal drain to help control infection in his abdomen and ensure he is healing well. Jax is persistently tachycardic. That means his heart rate is very high and is invisible pain despite being injected with pain medication. It's hard to know how long since this was ingested. However, um, and penetrated th- since this was ingested, however, penetrated through the small intestinal tract presumptively when he started feeling ill roughly 24 to 48 hours prior to presentation. Further, possible penetration and additional organ injury, abdominal as well as thoracic organs, including his heart, pericardium, major blood vessels and lungs, and developed systemic sepsis are likely if we wait much longer. At 9.30 a.m., the results of the ultrasound and the fact that this was now an emergency were communicated to the pet owner via telephone. 
A medical plan for Jax's needed surgery and continued care was discussed, as was the cost of $9,585 to $10,000, including current balance for Jax's overnight medication and care. The doctor discussed the credit options offered by the hospital, which are care credit, applying for Wells Fargo credit, or scratch pay. The hospital also accepts all major credit cards and pet insurance plans. The owner said she'd speak with her fiancé and call back. After 90 minutes, the owner had not called back, so she was contacted by the hospital and told that a 50% deposit would allow the doctor to begin the surgery. The owner said she was applying for a bank loan, which she was assured she would get so we could go ahead with the surgery. The doctor explained, once again, that surgery would not go forward without a deposit. The owner asked to know the exact cost. The doctor explained that until we knew the full extent of Jax's internal injuries or any possible complications, we couldn't predict that. Owner said to continue to monitor Jax until she heard back from the bank. At 1.30 p.m., the hospital contacted the owner again asking for an update. The owner said she still hadn't heard from the bank, but that she essentially has the loan and would know by 3 p.m. The doctor again discussed care credit to at least get a deposit so surgery could begin. The doctor advised the owner that they wanted to begin Jax's care to help avoid complications and emergency fees. The owner replied that she understood but wanted to get the bank loan and would know by 3 p.m. By 4 p.m. with no word from the owner, the hospital called the owner who reported she had been declined for the loan by the bank. The owner told the doctor, at this point, I am prepared to say goodbye because you guys don't have payment plans and I have no way of paying. The doctor then raised the possibility of rather than euthanizing Jax to instead simply surrender him to another owner who would be able to pay for the surgery and care for the puppy. The owner, understandably distraught, told the doctor, If you guys can give him a life and it's not with me, then that's fine. While surrendering a pet is a last resort, our priority is always saving the animal. It is unfortunate and heartbreaking for this pet owner that she did not have the means to cover this emergency. It is, however, a credit to our dedicated staff that another option to save the puppy was explored. The pet owner signed a legal document surrendering ownership. That document also ensures the privacy of the new owner And based on the social media vitriol that has run wild since the news story aired, we are thankful for that. Jax had the surgery and is recovering well. We have photos. He is with his new owner and we hope he will live a long and happy life. Reports that Jax's original owner finally raised all the money and paid us $10,000 but we wouldn't give the puppy back are untrue. She paid the hospital for Jax's initial medications and tests. She did open a GoFundMe account, but it was closed after she surrendered the puppy, raising only $100. A final note. While we have been vilified by hundreds of people, and we have every email and voicemail as proof, we have also been gratified to receive the unconditional support of the veterinary medical community, the outpouring of empathy from our fellow doctors and technicians, and our many pet families have helped us get through what has been a demoralizing episode. This situation was unique to our practice, but it is not unique to the profession. Veterinary doctors are victims of threats and violence to such an extent that it is a national crisis. The organization Not One More Vet exists to help prevent suicide and to aid members of our profession who are in crisis. We love our doctors. 
our staff, our profession, and our loving clients, we speak and work for animals who can't speak, who can't tell us where they hurt or how much pain they feel. That's our job, and we do it because we love it. Please be kind. And it was signed by the Maine Veterinary Medical Center, again, out of Scarborough, Maine, I believe. Yes. And uh, it provided a, it's a press release, so it provided a contact name for people who are interested in following up. So there's the official response uh, that includes the details of the story um, as it actually happened, not as it was reported on social media, and um, an overview of the fallout. You know, um, it seems to me, uh, based on following some of these stories and uh, receiving information from the profession, from veterinary medicine, that veterinarians are being asked to handle more and more complex cases all the time. And whether those cases require small tinctures of their time or intensive work, um, collaboration, and even long-term medication for mitigation or resolution or pricey one-time fixes that may or may not be 100% curative, these veterinarians and their staff are being asked to move heaven and earth without the expectation that they will need to be compensated for that. I think as owners, we want the same kind of care, specialty care for our pets that we get for ourselves, but we are unrealistic sometimes and unwilling to pay for what that care actually costs. There are people who want definitive answers as to their dog's seizures but, hey, look, here's an MRI machine in the veterinary clinic that no one wants to pay for. So no one gets answers and an expensive toy, the same sort of machine that's used in human medical facilities that costs anywhere from several, several hundreds to several thousands of dollars per scan. And with pets, you have to add in a general anesthesia to that cost because animal patients don't just lay still on a whim that machine sits unused even though the veterinarian still has to pay for the mechanical upkeep, software updates, has to pay to train staff to run it and continue to pay the manufacturer or the distributor for the privilege of eventually one day having full ownership. One of the things to consider, and I'm going to come around back to this a little bit later, not just in this program, but I think... Um, in a more elaborate way next week is to consider corporate consolidation of veterinary medicine. And I'll interrupt myself here and, and say only by way of context, um, my, my father was a funeral director for almost 50 years uh, and a partner at a funeral home in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And one of the dynamics that he observed in his career, across his career, was a shift in the industry from independent, often family-owned funeral homes to that of corporate consolidation, where a corporation would come in and buy up or acquire funeral homes and um, 
if the staff elected to stay on, they became corporate employees and management shifted to the enacting of mandates that were coming from a corporate headquarters and may or may not have actually been responsive to the needs of that particular funeral home in that particular community serving that particular set of constituents, all of whom were their neighbors and community members and the folks they sat next to in church and, and all of that all of that stuff. Corporate consolidation is a reality in veterinary medicine as well, so I went out to do a little bit of research. During the last three decades, rapidly expanding consolidation has changed the veterinary business landscape for good in the United States and in the rest of the world. From the first successful acquisition of an animal clinic by VCA back in 1987, other big players have followed the example and the number of veterinary consolidators has started to grow exponentially. In 2017, VCA, which now owns more than a thousand veterinary clinics in North America, was acquired by Mars Inc., the legacy of America's third richest family that stands behind confectionery brands, including M&M's, Twix, and Orbit, as well as the pet food brands, including Pedigree. Today, this conglomerate is considered the biggest buyer in the veterinary segment nationally and overseas. Except for VCA, this huge veterinary group also took ownership of Banfield in 2007, Blue Pearl Veterinary Partners in 2015, followed by smaller veterinary groups in Britain, continental Europe, Brazil, and even China. What makes the veterinary industry so enticing for big corporations? According to my research, buying a cash business like a companion animal practice is considered a safe and lucrative investment for private entities looking to gain profit and diversify their portfolio. Mergers and acquisitions are easier to run, taking into account high market fragmentation. There are numerous small hospitals and a growing number of practice owners thinking about sale and retirement. So due to accelerating pace of veterinary consolidation today, there are more than 60 veterinary consolidators known so far. It is hard to estimate the real number of company-owned veterinary practices. Back in 2017, it was over 10%, around 3,500 of 32,000, according to break consulting estimation, and real numbers change nearly every month. So let's back up for a minute. What is veterinary practice consolidation? Simply stated, a veterinary consolidation is a form of investment when bigger veterinary groups buy smaller ones or just buy vet practices directly to boost profits. Listen to that part. To boost profits and often resell or revitalize business in five to seven years. There are different types of veterinary consolidators. There are groups led by veterinarians. That includes Ethos, AZ Pet, Vet, MedVet, they are veterinarian-owned hospitals that have merged or partnered with fellow practices. Patient-focused, they grow at a slower pace, but in the end, develop more solid networks. There are private equity-backed consolidators, VetCore, Pathway, Veterinary Alliance. There are just three. They are aimed at fast growth, maximizing returns, and additional mergers and acquisitions. Vet groups buying pet store-based clinics, such as VIP Pet Care at Walmart, 
Thrive, which you see in the big box pet supply stores here in Lincoln. Uh, that's Pathway Veterinarian Alliance's brand in Petco, et cetera. This business model enables making pet care more affordable and benefits from combining retail and veterinary care at multiple locations. And uh, we'll have more to say about that later. Um, so I have a list here of major veterinary consolidators, as I just mentioned, American Veterinary Group, Amerivet Veterinary Partners, AZ Pet Vet, Blue Pearl, Blue River, Cara Veterinary, City Vet. Um, my list includes the date they were founded, the number of hospitals and partner locations. Um, it's a fairly comprehensive list of veterinary, veterinary clinics that are owned by a corporation, which means they may or may not be owned by actual veterinarians. And that's the part that might want to give us pause. Because why should we care? Corporations inserting themselves into the mix as a way of being able to foot the bill for those expensive toys like the MRI machine that I mentioned a minute ago, in addition to dictating the cost for their use, hmm, it, we might say that in essence, owners, people like you and me, want corporate involvement because we demand the best of care and the most updated standards for our pet at any cost until such time comes that we must actually pay up. And then it's presumed to be someone else's responsibility. Um, and as we heard in the statement from Maine Veterinary Partners, that responsibility usually ends up being that of the veterinary hospital itself. There are some people who want the maintenance and propagation of poorly bred dogs that would not survive without extensive medical care. That in and of itself is the top of an anthill. Where do we even begin? You've heard me say this before. It's not what dog you get, it's who you get it from that matters, right? Um, there are such things as well-bred dogs who are healthy. But the veterinary clinic is the bad guy if they do nothing but basic treatment of symptoms or management of symptoms because now the owner is in every other week or month for service or medication, dollars, 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 dollars. The clinic is also the bad guy for recommending or proceeding with permission with treatment options that require long-term monitoring, monitoring for changes that aren't immediately apparent to the average pet owner, particularly in younger or older animals. People want mitigation and resolution of complicated injuries, such as what recently happened in Maine. And that's not just a simple surgery. A vet tech friend of mine says, I've seen similar degree of damage, and even with the best of 24-hour specialty care, the chance of that particular cat surviving was estimated to be less than 25%. She emailed me. She said, all three of us heard the owner's approval for euthanasia over the phone in the surgery suite as we kept looking at the necrotic omentum, digesta-filled abdomen, perforated small intestine, while two technicians fought to keep her vitals in the compatible for life category. We're miracle workers until we just can't be, and rarely does my own hospital account for the cost differential in the number of staff and combined years of experience. 
necessary to work that miracle. It allows us to keep costs somewhat down while we sacrifice our own earning potential for the client's benefit and ability to keep their pet rather than end up in a situation like Jack's. She said to me later, it's a wonder this profession even exists in the age of the internet. And sometimes I think we need to go on strike. If all vets are the enemy, here's what a day, a few days, a week would look like without them. And then she sent me this. Here's how it should go for every single veterinary hospital this week. Quote, thank you for calling such and such hospital. If you have reached this message, we are currently closed as a result of events involving treatment of staff at Maine Veterinary Care Center. While we are unable to treat your pet at this time, we ask that you please consider the effects your words and actions have upon the people who work in the veterinary profession. Our normal office hours will resume at notice of apology from the media disseminating the original story and the people who call or visit our hospital will be held accountable for their behavior. Thank you, and we look forward to helping your pet in a much more respectful atmosphere. It's a moment, I think, for all of us, and uh, there's a lot to take away from this experience, particularly as it unrolled on social media. Um, And so I wanted to be able to bring it to our community conversation about our responsibilities to our pets, including the responsibility of being able to pay for general veterinary care um, and or plan for emergencies, right? There is such a thing as pet insurance and it's not a bad idea. Um, Or a pet savings account or however however we do these things these days. At the very least, um, blaming the veterinary hospital uh, for our failures, right? The failure to manage a four-month-old puppy in such a way that he's not a danger to himself is is worth considering. Um, and then blaming the veterinary clinic for being unwilling to do an expensive surgery for free uh, is an ethical dilemma that I think we're going to explore in part two of this conversation. Um by looking at some work done by Gerald Tannenbaum a few years ago where he talks about what he calls Petzilla. And uh, it's an intriguing overview and an intriguing discussion. Um, So I'll bring it to you next week. In the meantime, thanks for your listening ear. Take care of your veterinary team. Take care of your dog in these hot days. Take care of yourself. Stay hydrated. Grab some water. Stick around, hang out with us here at KZUM, KZUM HD, the coolest radio station in the world. And uh, come on back next week at 6.30 Wednesday, and we'll talk some more about uh, this main state veterinary drama event moment. Thanks, guys. Take care.